Hello, everybody. Welcome back. This is part three now for the Hoonigan Special podcast series. I'm very happy because I've got one of the, uh, I think, probably one of the most famous Hoonigan producers uh, sat across the table from Kiwi and myself, uh, Ashley Baker-Scotto. Hi. Thank you so much for uh, volunteering yourself, or maybe not volunteering, because I maybe... I was pressured. volunteered, but I don't mind. It's yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> it's, I'm just glad that, that, that you're here setting up opposite me and Kiwi so I can learn all about your origin story. So what I really want to ask is how did you get into this crazy car world kind of thing that you're in now and sort of surrounded and engulfed by when you're not doing, obviously, maintenance on a vintage home? Right. Hmm. Um, I started off wanting to work in and around motorsports. So what was the what was the drive for that then? You know, I started going to drift events back in 2003 okay. when it was rather new. Yep. So you still had the D1 drift events and you had the Formula Drift. Mhm. I remember and, uh D1 cuz I was lucky enough to go to a D1 event in Odaiba. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, so it was fun. I'd managed the uh, I'd seen it before on the TV. Mm-hmm. I will say that in the 90s, but then finally getting a chance to go and see one live, it was really made my day. I it, should say it's that. It's super fun and I think a big part of it for me was that there were all of these teams and people who came together at those events and were all working. Mm-hmm. And I think I decided then that I wanted to be in a job that put me around racing and motorsports. And to back up a little bit further, I grew up in a house where we built, made, took things apart, did everything ourselves from running gas lines to at six years old, I was bending rebar for our pool before we sprayed the gunite and then put the plaster in. So my dad taught. Was that just because you were cheap labor at that point? Is I'm that cheap labor. I yeah. think my parents were going to have more kids, but, yeah. you know, it gets expensive. Yeah. Um, so I've always done stuff like that myself growing mm-hmm. up. My dad built cars, but I wasn't really around for that. That was, I would say that was before me, but growing up, it was always, you know, if it breaks, Why? take it apart, let's fix it, let's figure it out. My dad taught um, all grades from K through graduate school, but he also taught things like cadaver dissection and wood shop and metal shop, and my grandfather was a master carpenter. an eclectic range of of subjects to uh, to, to go through in (laughs) a day. Right, right. But we were very Mm hands-on, and um, I was kind of taught that, you know, everything that goes together has to come apart. So where where did you grow up then? Where what part of the? I grew up in Salem, Oregon, for the most part. Mm-hmm. Born in California, spent my grade school years in Salem, and then moved back down here okay. in, for high school, yeah. and been here since. So with that background, I mean, we were always building things, putting things together. So that stuff came very easily to me. Mm-hmm. And I think starting in high school, um, I. I was just more of a tomboy, Mm -hmm. and most of my friends were boys. They were all into cars, and I had a car that I was building and working on. What was that then? I I first had a couple Ford Rangers. My grandfather, the master carpenter, was a Ford guy, Mm -hmm. and so that kind of passed down to me. And then um, I had a couple Ford Rangers and then bought a V8 Mustang when I was 17. And so I started building that and spending all my money on that and wanted to take it to the track and spent entirely too much money on it for someone my age. What year was that then? What year Mustang? 1996. Okay. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. So that was kind of the beginning of it. But um, I'd say in 03, I 
I really decided that, that was what I wanted to do was be around racing. And I had enjoyed working on cars, working on things with my dad. It came very natural, mm -hmm. just knowing how cars go together, how parts articulate. That came very easy to me. And I signed up to go to UTI to become a technician. Mm -hmm. And about a month in, I think I decided that that route wasn't going to work for me. Only because at the end of that, you have a few options. You can either go work on a race team, which is very few people get to do this. Yeah. Or you end up in a dealership. Mm -hmm. And I think I decided that I didn't want to be at a dealership dealing with people's factory vehicles. I wanted to be around racing and motorsports and driving and things like that. So um, it was actually a um, it was actually the CEO at Falcon Tire whom I knew and had talked about my path and schooling and, and what to do. And he said, he said, you know, go get a degree. He said, I, I think you can do so much more with a degree than you can going to a technical technical school for me mm -hmm. personally. So he was actually the one who inspired me to go get my degree in marketing. And I left UTI and decided that I could still have cars as a hobby and working on cars as a hobby and not have it as a career path, but still be around them and do a lot more with uh, working within racing in on the, on the other end. So that was kind of where that started. And so where did you go to school? Then? Which school did you go to? I degree? went to Chapman university. Okay. Yep. I went much later in life. I was at a community college for some time and mm -hmm. then decided to go there when I was in my late twenties. So finished in my late twenties. And from there I, I mean, my whole goal was to work around motorsports, mm -hmm. and I kind of took a non-traditional route because I I saw so many kids going to a career center afterwards or going to the school career center to say, you know, what jobs do you guys have available? What can I get? How do I get into my first job? Yeah, you don't find many motorsports jobs at the <laughs> right. old career they're not, school. They're not, they're not really on the list, yeah. those, those places. They don't sort of make, fall into those cracks kind of thing. <laughs> right, right. So... um you know, I, my parents always encouraged me to kind of just do, go after the things that I wanted. So I started putting together letters to different companies and I kind of put together the same package. Mm -hmm. It was an intro letter. It was my experience, kind of a resume. And it basically said, you know, this is, this is what I went to school for. This is the field I want to work in. And right now you can use, this was kind of at a time where, the economy was taking a bit of a dive. People were getting laid off, but then the people who remained were doing two or three people's jobs. Mm -hmm. So I used that and said, you guys could use an intern. I'd like to get the experience, get my foot in the door. And I made a list of companies, uh, all, all within motorsports, from tire companies to uh, manufacturers to sanctioning bodies. And I sent them all out and got a call back from Formula Drift. Mm-hmm. And so I started my internship with Formula Drift because I created my own internship. People weren't, it wasn't listed. They didn't, a lot of companies don't think to go list their company at a school mm -hmm. to have, to be able to access students for internships. So I started there and um, from there I just, you know, the one thing my dad taught me was if you want to do something or be something, you talk about it. Yep. And so anybody who would listen, I would tell them what I wanted to do. And I'd say, I want to work in motorsports. And I started at, um, I started with Formula Drift and then interned at 
another agency that handled all aftermarket um, automotive companies. So we went to SEMA and did things like that. And, and so what were you doing for them? Was it um, anything and everything start, kind of thing? You know, to start, um, I actually ended up doing a lot of the measurement. So a lot of those companies have to report their ROI. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm pretty good at, on the number side of things. And I worked, um, I guess I did a little bit of everything. So measurement, ROI reporting, um, uh, press releases I can write. Um, things like that. So kind of everything in that realm of marketing and PR. And worked with different sanctioning bodies, worked with um, worked with agencies, and uh, still in the background maintained my, um, my connections in motorsports and, and going. I was uh, pretty involved in drifting for a time. And from there, I started acquiring my own clients. Mm -hmm. So I left an agency and, and thought, you know, I could do this myself. I can be a freelancer. I can work from home. It's the, which it's, is nice. It's a dream to work in your pajamas yeah, most of the no, day. Yeah, nothing and wrong with travel working with your a race team. Exactly. Right. Yeah, on the weekends, right? Right. Exactly. Oh, we'll leave Thursday, maybe, and then. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Sure. It's a long weekend, but it's it's a good time. You trade off with pro pajama time, so you yeah. know you got to you win right. and losses, right? Right. You got to have goals. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, it went from working in an agency to figuring out that I could do this on my own, and uh, so I very quickly started bringing on athletes and traveling with different racing teams and managing their social, managing their marketing, managing their press releases, their, so, their strategy, et cetera, et cetera. Which were some of the teams then that you worked with along those, when we look back? Um, well, I worked with a team called Team Need for Speed, mm -hmm. um, which was a team in drifting. Mm -hmm. And then I also worked a bit with Von Gittin Jr., who mm -hmm. was a friend of mine. Mm -hmm. um, and I did some off-road stuff with Casey Curry. Mm -hmm. His family runs uh, Curry Enterprises. And then from there, I would also help drivers put together kind of like a pitch deck, essentially. Which is handy, that people right. don't really know about right. outside of the realms of that. Right. Drivers are good at driving. Mm -hmm. They're not good at marketing. Yeah. Most most of the time. Yeah. And, what's the, the time. and what do corporate sponsors want to see? Right. A ROI. Pitch deck. Yeah. ROI. What, 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 can, what can you do for me if I'm <laughs> exactly. doing something for you? Exactly. So I'd put together kind of either a recap of their year and what they've done and kind of highlight why they're valuable. Mm -hmm. um, or we'd put something together for the following year to pitch them to new sponsors. And we'd, we'd, I, we, I kind of modeled it off of one that I had seen at uh, Brian Scotto's house because mm -hmm. he and I were friends. And I saw this deck that it was essentially this booklet that he had put together for Ken Block at the end of the year. And I'd seen these decks digitally, but to print it out and bind it and make it something that could sit on your coffee table, I thought it was brilliant. Mm -hmm. So I kind of modeled things after that, and I started getting them printed. So these guys actually had something tangible to walk into the room with. Yeah. Because um, as you say, it's nice to have something that you could feel as yeah. well as being talked to something and seeing something, but having it in your hands and being it real as a different, different sort of dimension, I would say. Yeah. Exactly. And it also speaks to how serious you are about what you're doing mm -hmm. and the people that you have that you're building in a team around you. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I mean, from there, I started working with different athletes. And I'd say that that was probably my introduction to working with Hoonigan. Mm -hmm. um, I would come in and I was already friends with several of the people here and um, would come in and work with their athletes to try to put together these books for them mm -hmm. at the end of the year. And um, 
it kind of just turned into working here. I mean, it's, it's funny the transition I think a lot of us have made from motorsports and racing and that PR marketing side of things mm -hmm. to production. Okay. And it was this very natural transition, really, because, I mean, five, six, seven years ago, everybody was realizing that in order to market themselves, they needed to brand themselves as a brand, as a company, mm -hmm. but that they needed to do some sort of video. That was this time where video was becoming this big medium where you needed to have some sort of video that you could show people as well as, you know, something like a deck or, or something on paper. Mm -hmm. And in doing so, uh, a lot of these videos would be sponsored by your partners or a driver's partner where you'd have enough funding to go have a production company make a video and in doing some of those for drivers in working with these production companies, it was actually the people within production who were blown away that people in motorsports like me or like any of the other people who handled marketing and, and had the access and resources of cars, drivers, and not just not just any sort of picture car. These are actual race cars, mm -hmm. actual drivers. And so instead of the typical production route of using somebody who is going to go rent you a car from a picture house or from a picture car house or a picture car warehouse and hire a stunt driver. I was actually able to bring real drivers and real race cars to the table. And that was something I think in production that was, that was just unheard of. I mean, you, you couldn't do that. Mm -hmm. You, nobody's going to rent you their race car and most drivers aren't going to come, don't have, I mean, the drivers want to be a part of it just as much as you, someone in production would like to have them, Yeah. but they just don't have the connection or the ability to get in. So um, you're saying you became like the fixer. Kind of. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that was kind of the beginning. Um, I worked with a company called, uh, Logan productions and they did, uh, they helped us. They did some of our earlier Gymkhana's, but then they also had other work that they did, commercials and things like that. And I started working with them because they had so many car projects coming to them. And it was great to be able to source an actual car that worked mm -hmm. versus something that you had to rent from a rent from a picture car house, install some sort of smoke machine on to make it look like it was doing something yeah. instead of just actually doing it. And then also, obviously, when you've got your skills, you've got the team behind it, they can also make sure it's doing things properly right. and working on time, hopefully. Right. right. It's a little more effective. Yeah. Yeah. And efficient. Yeah. And then obviously efficiency means cost savings and things like yeah. that. And yeah. that's a benefit to all, right? Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, that was kind of that the beginning of working in production. And I, I'd say that, you know, I think a lot of people work their way up through production and you start as a production assistant. That's your entry level, what we call PA. Mm -hmm. And you come in and you're essentially a gopher. Mm -hmm. You run here, do this, get coffee, do whatever's needed of you. Yeah. And I know so many people in production who work their way up. You go from a PA, then you work up to a coordinator, then you're a production manager, and then you may go different routes. You may become a grip. You may come back to – and everybody kind of day plays and does different things until you work your way up to uh, a producer or an assistant director mm -hmm. or a director. Um, I kind of just jumped right in and, be, and decided I was going to be a producer. Why not? And it's essentially what I was doing for these production companies was I was producing 
what they needed for the automotive part of their shoot, mm -hmm. from logistics to the vehicles to the driver to helping with creative. I mean, we'd sit in, in meetings with with large companies who I won't name, and you think that an automotive company may have somebody within it who knows cars, but they don't always. A lot of times they're a suit or they come from somewhere else, mm -hmm. and they don't understand why won't this car spin like this? Mm -hmm. Why won't? And I can't tell you how many meetings I've sat in where people put up put up their their wants, the pictures of their wants, and it's a picture of Jim Connor. Yeah, you know, and, and we want this car to do this, but we want our car to do this. And I would be that person to say, well, you know, it's it, that car won't do that. Or that car. You, you can do you, it maybe in reverse. Sure. We can drive it all backwards sure. around the track, and sure. maybe we could do that. Front wheel drive behaves different than all wheel drive yeah. behaves different than rear wheel drive. Mm -hmm. And um, maybe a hundred and fifty horsepower car probably won't go as fast as a right. thousand horsepower car. Right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of my my start there, and um, I, I I worked with Hoonigan along the way, but. Uh, uh, was it last year, 2017, um, I went and produced Top Gear America. Okay. Um, so I was a producer on the show that they do in America. Um, and it was, it was a fun experience. Super fun. Uh, the show was on for five years with a certain cast and crew, and then it was canceled. Um, and then somebody tried to bring it back that year. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I was brought on to, to help out with that, but it was, it didn't, didn't get picked up back up, but I mean, you got big shoes to fill in general. There's, there's not, in there's general, not a it blows my, it blows that, my uh... mind, blows my mind that they tried to do a Top Gear America in the first place. Mm -hmm. I would have called it something else, but yeah, yeah. maybe. Yeah. Maybe. You, you Cause you're big, living up to big, you got big, big shoes to big fill. Boots to fill at that point. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, but what was, I mean, what was it like though working i mean obviously you having you to come in and fill it how did you what was the thought process behind doing that with you coming in and doing it and working on it was it how i've got this that i would live up to how how did you as far as top gear yeah just um, talking that touching on that briefly well i i know i was brought in they they started when they canceled the show they canceled they it was it was done mm -hmm. it was um so when they started over, they were starting over from scratch, and that was with crew, yep. that was with staff, that was with hosts, everything. Um, they had someone new that had not worked on it before who had wanted to revive it, mm -hmm. and so they were looking for people that had automotive background, um, and that's how I was referred to that show. Um, but I, uh, I think... Some people may have been, may, would have been intimidated, but I felt that I was a really good fit for that. Okay. Um, I, I quickly found out that not everybody there, well, no one there was on it before, mm -hmm. but um, n not everybody was a car person. Okay. So I was that person who was able to provide that background uh -huh. and, and those resources. So yeah. it was, um, it was right up my alley. Yeah. yeah. So I was able to bring in a lot of different drivers and and cars and um and and since then have been sourcing vehicles for commercials and things like that where where you need an actual real rally car or what whatever that might be. Yeah. But so it's it's opened a lot of doors. It's um 
but it was a great experience to go do, especially having come from Hoonigan mm-hmm. and being on Gymkhana sets where we don't manufacture the moment, we capture the action, where I think a lot of television is manufacturing the moment because you might not know, you might ha- not have the resources to make the action mm-hmm. to capture. So it was a, it was a fun experience. It, it was very different. I mean, it's television. Yeah. It's different. It's you're manufacturing the moment. Yeah. And obviously, I mean, uh, Hoonigan, for example, some of the stuff that does is maybe a little bit shorter and maybe mm-hmm. some of the segments you've done differently, especially if you look at the, for example, the Jim Carter side that mm-hmm. these large companies might want to be capturing things like that, or these sure. large TV shows that want to capture it. Right. But going from a Jim Carter to a, a 42 minutes kind of thing is a bit, uh, which is like some segments that what let be like 20 minutes to half an hour. Right. I'm just guessing right. roughly give or take. Yes. I mean, it's a, Big difference to try and keep that entertainment value up for that length of time. I can't Definitely. imagine it would be very... And it's scripted. Mm-hmm. Where, where, you know, we just we just shoot from the hip. Yeah, or this looks <laughs> yeah. good, or you know how yeah. it's going to look, or you've got, you can right. figure things out. Or from that a looked great. We're going to get again. it from this angle. Yeah. Do it again. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. what is some of the stuff that you've worked on then on the Hoonigan side then that you've got your producer titles to? Um, on the Hoonigan side, I just wrapped up a show last year called Knuckle Busters. Mm-hmm. And that was a drift car that we built in conjunction with Edelbrock. Mm-hmm. Um, Edelbrock makes a lot of domestic parts and mm-hmm. parts for domestic vehicles. But in within the drifting community, there's a big... Um, there was a big surge in using a lot of domestic motors in import vehicles. Yep. So that was kind of a tie-in that we made, and and we built an LS and had Edelbrock's help on that for this drift car. And it was more of a um, more was of an in-depth a, build. And it was a BMW. It was a BMW. It was yeah. an E36 mm-hmm. M3, and uh, it was something that we hadn't really done per se as far as getting in depth. Uh, on the actual build. Okay. And we've done a lot of, um, we've kind of grazed over a lot of the building aspects to make the content stay kind of quick and keep people watching. But there's certainly, we found that there's certainly that audience that wants to see the build and wants to see how to do things. So we would break it down and kind of, you know, not everybody watching knows how a camshaft Mm-hmm. Operates so we would kind of break that down and take different bits and pieces and talk about why we did things that way. Because when you're building something day in and day out, it's like it's like when you're training somebody to do something that you know so well, you may not for you may forget the the intricacies and little things that because they're second nature to you, mm-hmm. you for, you don't think to explain. So that was kind of what we did with that show where we were able to take things and break them down um, because not everybody knows. Yeah, and I mean, we, yeah. I, I enjoyed the series because, like you said, it's, it's good to find out these things. And I think it's also nice when you've got someone that's incredibly knowledgeable on it, like you said, that does it day in and day out, may right. have a few years' experience doing it, and they're working at such a high level, more so than I could ever imagine. Or It's good to find out and be interested in that. and. Right. Also, in speaking to, for example, Nads in, in just earlier today, he talked about the, you working with the, the audience that you have and getting that feedback and being able to, or the, yeah. I've got some instant response on this and maybe we could try this. How does that play into when you're filming or putting together these shows or whatever? Um, it plays in greatly because it, in, in contrast to television, you have this audience that can talk to you mm-hmm. and you have that feedback of, 
we like this, we didn't like that, can we see more of that? And I think that's one major reason we decided to make a show like Knucklebusters, because we had so many people saying, wait, 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 go back. How did you do that? What did you use? What is, how, how do I do that at home? And think of it, when you're working on something, whether it's your house or your car, and you don't know how to do something, where do you go? You go to YouTube. That's where I get everything. Or you go now. to the internet. I mean, I, I just want to do open Or whatever your favorite surgery. search engine is, yeah. and you say, how do I remove this a tooth, cam, first thing. A right, tooth. pliers, yeah. garage. Yeah, fishing line Paper towels. and a fast car. That's a Paper good way towels. to go. There you go, yeah. Yeah, and that's and that's kind of what we wanted to do with that was make uh, make a show where people could actually learn something from it, and I, it was we we also wanted to do it in a way that those who had the experience and understood how things worked already mm-hmm. didn't feel that it was too slow, didn't mm-hmm. feel that it was this building cars one hundred and one, spend an entire episode on brakes or whatever it might be. So um, it was it was a bit of a challenge. It was something we hadn't done before, and it took us some time to create the formula and create what the episode would feel like in order for it to be educational enough, but also um, not to be too slow for the people that already knew what we were doing. Yeah. yeah. And then and how was it – how did you – were you happy? What was the results? How did you feel like it all came together in the end? Oh, I, I was quite happy with it, and I think our audience was too. We had a lot of compliments on um, – just the detail, but also, you know, it kept going. It had some flow to it. It, it uh, the cadence wasn't too slow. So we had a lot of great feedback on and it. The, and then, what about the feedback from the client? Because obviously, Edelbrock is not really famed for their work in the drifting community. Say, right? They're more so known, I would, from my perspective, maybe for more like possibly older American muscle cars. Maybe that's maybe me, me making sweeping nope, statements that's, here. No, that's that's pretty that's pretty accurate. Um, well, that was a big thing for them, too, is that they wanted to capture a younger audience, mm-hmm. and that just happens to be our audience. We have we have a, a, a wide variety of ages, but we uh, the largest part of our audience is that younger piece, and any company needs that to be able to continue being a company. Otherwise... Yeah, you've got to be successful in the next in, generation, right? Yeah, right. Otherwise, your audience literally dies off, and then who's going to buy, who's gonna buy your stuff? Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, no, I think it. I think it worked very well for them. They seem to be very happy with it. Um, they um, they've had they've had requests in the past that they that was exactly what they wanted to do. They wanted to bring in that young audience and make their parts relevant. And they've they admitted to us before that you know we've watched. We've watched things turn towards drifting. The youth likes this, this higher speed, mm-hmm. higher excitement. All of these, all of these um, fast-paced sports that we may not really fit into, but we thought we thought that they fit into it rather well. I mean, there are a lot of domestics in in the, some of those sports. There's a lot of domestics in grassroots. There's, um, I mean, people are using all of those parts. It's just a matter of how do you how do you access that audience. So. Um, no, we our audience was really stoked on it. So I think that I think that it opened up certainly a lot of eyeballs to Edelbrock and a lot of commentary about you know it, what you know. I had no idea that Edelbrock made stuff. I didn't know I could even put this in my car. And Edelbrock said too that you know we had we can't get over how positive the feedback is. It's the internet. 
Yeah. The internet's a scary place. Yeah. I mean, I don't like reading the comments. <laughs> right. And, and I've, right. I've got a pretty good, I will say no breaking's got a pretty good reviews on, on uh, there. So That's, I'm very yeah. happy with that. Um, yeah. But it is very hard when people say mean things. Sure. When you have to read about it. And them. it's really easy to do on the internet. Yeah. You don't have to. You're not face to face. No. That's no. what the internet is. It's a bunch of kids. Yeah. Well, Troll, uh, trolling on, maybe, uh, on fun ki- things that other people are doing yeah, that they're maybe, not. <laughs> maybe sometimes not even kids. Maybe some sure. older people too. But sure. But can sure. be a little bit mean. But uh, sure. some, yeah, as you say, sometimes yeah. the internet cannot quite be yeah. the, maybe the, the friendliest place. And we had nothing but positive feedback. And what? we don't go through and delete comments unless it's vulgar or yeah or anything like that but we had nothing but positive comments so it was really great i mean i know we're excited to do it again this year since i mean uh i mean i have appeared on uh hoonigan video when uh we went to the the peterson museum with uh brian and will and mm-hmm. and there was some comments on there that were unflattering and i was like i can't read them again. no you shouldn't read them exactly so you shouldn't read them so speaking of that so what have you got what will you be looking to make or do in the future have you got anything that you can talk about i should say um, I think we will be doing another uh, season of Knucklebusters, mm-hmm. but I can't speak to what what vehicle we'll, we'll be using or okay. what exactly we'll be doing. But it'll be something very similar in the sense that we will dive into more of the details. And on that show, we uh, we were very transparent that we may not have known how to do everything. Mm-hmm. You know, Dan doesn't build race engines for a living day in and day out, and that was that was our chance to bring in the people that are the, that are the experts in those fields yeah, yeah. and uh, make sure that it's done right instead of us guessing. Yeah. Dan's a very talented fabricator oh, and, yeah. I've watched and a his very YouTube's. intelligent very mechanic. And he's a very good on camera as well. Yep. yep. And he's very good at growing facial hair. He is. He's good. He is. You'd be surprised how yeah. fast that stuff grows. Look, it seems I can imagine it's like five <laughs> o'clock shadow straight away. As soon as his baby face in the morning and then, oh, it's a full beard. Yep. Yep. But he'll be the first one, and that's why he's good, is he'll be the first to admit that when he doesn't know somebody, mm-hmm. something. Yeah. So he will say, you know, I, I'm not sure. Let's take it to somebody who does know. So this this season will be very similar to the last, but a totally different realm mm-hmm. for the vehicle. Okay. Yeah. Anything else that you're working on, or is that all top secret, hush, hush? Um, I am working on another show right now that will be a new show for us. Uh, I can't say what it's called yet, but it will it will involve building cars in a different way. Okay. Yeah. So well. that'll be coming out. We'll have four seasons of it, and that will likely start uh, April, May. Oh, well, I'm looking forward to seeing that. Um, but also, I have to ask, what about in your personal life now, the car, cars, car, cars, that you're, cars. what are you still working on? And finishing, because you're the one that's a successful part of the, the duo, I think, in regards to doing quality work. Or Don't whatnot. put that kind of pressure on me. No pressure. No pressure at all. No pressure. So the car that is uh, the biggest thorn in my side that I need to finish is my 1986 944 Turbo Porsche. Mm-hmm. Um, I have an LS3 motor for it, and... I, I hate to even say this out loud. If I spent a month straight working on it, it could probably get it done. <laughs> but you, it's when do you have a month straight to That's work the problem. on it? Yeah. That's the problem. So when people tell you <laughs> to make your hobby your job and you'll never work a day in your life, that's it's, a lie. It's not quite true. You work more. Yeah. And then it's not a hobby anymore. It's your job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, no, I still really enjoy it. And I still really enjoy working on cars. But um, working in production is a 12-hour-a-day thing. 
Yeah, and I guess also it'd be hard to get space in a lift here. Because they're always, I mean, as I just look outside now, there's there's something. There's always something going on. Yeah. So how sad, does, sad to say mine is on a lift in the corner, so nobody knows it's there. <laughs> but how Nobody's does it, moved it. How does it even work in regards to, do you have guys have like a schedule where everyone has to put time <laughs> in them by book slots? Well. Like back at, you know, at college where you'd be like, oh, I can have this room for this long. Yeah. Where you have to check out the library. Yeah. Um, if you are going to be filming, there are certain lifts that you have to use. Oh. So those you'll have to check out and schedule. Um, I can also set up cameras back in a corner on a lift that isn't typically our, isn't our typical stage mm -hmm. set up for a stage. And so that's kind of what I've been doing but well, then, or haven't been doing, Well, whichever I, way you look at it. I was going to ask, cause I think you're busy doing other sorts of work, aren't you right now in regards to your new endeavors of sorts? Well, we have, well, we also have our, uh, discovery Land mm -hmm. Rover yeah. that we have, we just put the R2.8 Cummins diesel in and then took it out and then put it back in and then took it out. <laughs> Why? So, you may as well. You know, <laughs> you have to get it right. Yeah, and it's then you can sort of, of like put thing. times down and then so each time you take it out and put it back in, see if you can get right. that time, lap time right. down, right? Right, it's right. It's all competitive. Now we're doing it for time. Yeah. Uh, so that is a project that's ongoing for us as well. And then on top of that, Brian and I just bought a house. Yep. And it's uh, obviously it's a project house because we don't buy anything that's not a project. Yeah, I mean, yep. it goes without saying, right? right. So, so how was it different working on a project house as opposed to a project car? Uh, houses are much easier. Again, I grew up working on houses. So wood never has to line up like metal does. Mm -hmm. You don't, you have much less of a tolerance with wood. You just, once you nail it or screw it together, it lines right up. Um, but no, houses are, houses are the easy part. It's just much, it's much a bigger project. Yeah. I was going to say, do you, are you really popular now at Home Depot? Is that what's happening? Right. Right. I have the, I have the pro, the pro card. Yeah. And yeah. you can let, and they'll get, let you through. Yeah. And yeah. they can say, oh, it's, it's actually coming back. And hey, Ashley, yeah. how you doing? Oh, hey. Yeah, the, the person at the front that, that does the little thing on the ticket is like, hey, how you doing? What's, what's, exactly. what's broken this exactly. week? Hey, George. Yeah. No. What are you looking for today? Yeah, I mean, as for someone that's gone through that experience, I, yeah, it is a... You feel me? Yeah. yeah. Thank, I probably didn't do as much work as you two are doing because I like to outsource it, I like to say. I will outsource watch and I will occasionally bring hot yeah. tea. Oh, uh, that's nice. So I'm good like So you're that. a supervisor. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, I'm very good. That's I can good. make sure everyone arrives on time and leaves when they should. Right. And then I'll generally have to clean up after everyone. Right. But that's what I'm good at. I mean, look, I will, right. I will get the brush out and I will, I will sweep. Sure. I'm a very yeah, proficient some, sweeper. Somebody's got to clean up. Yeah, and I'll try and make sure it's all clean before the wife shouts at me. <laughs> yeah, that's good. No, it, being a producer in my work life makes me a great contractor in my home life. Yeah, and I my, can imagine. my stepdad and mom run an architecture firm, so I'm very lucky to have some resources and people that they've worked with for years and years and years who can kind of help us out. Yeah, which is sort of handy if you know yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. I will say that having good, uh, tr as I would say, tradesmen or as you say, yes. contractors come mm -hmm. round, that uh, that makes things a big difference. Oh yeah, but. Uh, other than that, actually, if anyone's wanting to follow you on the non-hooning and stuff, or have you got any Instagrams or anything on it that they can try and track you down on? Um, we, I have my Instagram, which mm -hmm. is Baker underscore Ashley, okay. A-S-H-L-E-Y, the normal spelling from the 80s. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that's it. And then I guess if anyone wants to find, they can find your videos or whatnot that you've produced on yep. the YouTube. And on our YouTube, on our main YouTube channel, Hoonigan. There you go. Yep. Well, Ashley, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for making Absolutely. the time to sit down with myself and Kiwi. Of course. She was uh, pretty good throughout the whole thing, so I think that's all right. 
And uh, as always, if anyone's interested, we always like you to leave us a very positive review. Not always nice things, as I said. I read them all. all like, Don't read them all. No, the positive comments. Just skip to the positive comments. Well, there's not. This, this is inside a secret in the podcast. You don't get too many comments. Oh, that's nice. So it's nice when someone, you feel nice when someone okay. writes a nice comment. Maybe I'll switch to this. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's much better. It's easier. And then no one sees, you don't have to do your hair. And sometimes I can even do it in my pajamas. Look at that. Goals. See? Exactly. Living the dream. <laughs> but thanks again, everyone, for listening. And uh, we'll see you next time, guys. Bye-bye.